I love you. Open your Bibles too. I don't have my Bible. Okay. I mean, I've got it here, but I don't like that image. <laughs> um, Matthew 5, 3. Um, but that's just one spot. So if you're going to open your actual physical Bible, go to Psalm 73, because we'll be there um, more than not. So Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is God's word. And so begin the Beatitudes. Okay, if you were here last week, we kind of did a big Matthew 5, 6, 7, what the whole thing is doing. Um, the Beatitudes are the blessings. And, and in Luke's gospel, the, the woes, and like the rest of the sermon, like chapter 5, like chapter 6, like chapter 7, they are an announcement of and an instruction for those who will receive blessing at the day of the Lord and the coming kingdom and the resurrection of their bodies unto eternal life. And those who will receive woes at the day of the Lord and the, resurre- and the coming kingdom and the resurrection of their bodies, not to eternal life, but to eternal death. And so this is just what we said last week. The aim of the sermon is uh, eschatology-based discipleship, okay? This is what the end looks like, right? And so for first century Jews, that's the kingdom of God, a future final government based in Jerusalem that would crush all the other wicked governments of the earth that would reign forever, ruled by a descendant of David or the Messiah. They're hearing kingdom of heaven going, oh yeah, give us some of that. And so if that's what the end looks like, Right? Nation not warring against nation anymore, turning their swords into plowshares, the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. If that's what the end looks like, you're going to live this way now. Okay? Eschatology based discipleship. If you want an eternal life on that day, if you want blessing, then you live this way now. And it's the same message that uh, the prophets preached. It's the same message that John the Baptist preached. And now Jesus is preaching the exact same, same thing here. Blessings for you, woes for you. Live accordingly. Okay? Like he's, just, he's not trying to trick people or mess people around. He said, there's a real coming kingdom and there's a real lake of fire. And I'm telling you how to avoid that one and get into this one. Right? And we're all like, easy. Thank you, Lord. Okay? So the first group Jesus addresses in regards to, you know, what's coming. In regards to blessing is the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or in Luke's account, he just says, blessed are the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of God. So the poor will inherit the kingdom of heaven. The poor will have eternal life. The, the, the poor will have eternal joy and glory forever. That's what he said, right? It's just pretty, pretty clear. So we got to ask, who's poor? Okay. <laughs> what does Jesus mean by poor? And that's a hard question to ask in American congregation. Really, I mean, it, it really is. The, the poorest member uh, of our body would be the richest person um, in many other countries all over the world. Not every country, but most of them, okay? You got your iPhone, you're a king. I mean, you're, you're, you're running stuff, so who's poor? Is Jesus simply talking to people who are financially less than or materially less than? Is the, the opening beatitude, is it, is it a blanket statement saying, if you fall within a certain tax bracket, yours is the kingdom of heaven? Okay? Obviously not. And I hope not. Because again, every person in this room is unqualified because the poorest among us is very, 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 very rich. Okay? Like if you have a dollar, you are very rich. 
So according to the scripture, which we're going to survey in a moment, the poor isn't necessarily someone who can't pay their rent. It can be, but it's not the defining mark. In the scriptures, the one who is poor is the one who comes to God empty-handed, right? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I don't bring my awesomeness and my supposed righteousness to the Lord. I just come empty-handed and say, I have nothing, you have all the riches, let's work this out, okay? That's the poor in spirit. And who is, and this is what I found out later, okay, I I had an idea and then I started reading the Bible and it messed up my ideas, okay? It does that. So that's one thing for sure. You come to God empty-handed, I've got nothing, you've got everything, how's this going to work? But also, as we read through the scripture, we find it's this person who's poor, who's empty-handed, who's also devoted to God, walks out their days before him in humility and love, but is denied riches and is denied the rewards associated with righteous living. Okay, so you guys are, are, you know, Midwestern Oklahoma Christians, and someone's told you one time or another, hey, if you want to read your Bible every day, uh, read the Proverbs. You can read one there's 31 of them, read one, okay? The Proverbs basically say, live this way and good things happen to you. And then you guys do that, and then bad things happen to you. And you're like, hmm, someone's lying here. You know what I'm like? Solomon, whoever's writing these things, is a liar. So the poor, and we'll get into this, the poor are those who live according to, to like the principles of Proverbs, the, the truth of Proverbs, but over and over and over and over and over and over again are not given the reward of Proverbs. That person, Scripture says, he's Po. Right? Can't even afford the O and the R. P-O, Po. Okay? So this is Psalm 73. This is the tension of living uh, in a present evil age. The wicked prosper. Not always, but mostly. Okay? And the righteous suffer. Not always. But mostly. So listen to how the psalmist deals with this. We're going to go through the whole thing and see who's poor in spirit and who actually is going to inherit the kingdom when it comes. Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's another beatitude for you guys paying attention. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Okay? So this guy's... He's flummoxed, okay? God's good to the pure in heart. He's saying this. He knows this. He's writing this. He's aiming to walk this thing out, but he says, I'm stumbling around in the dark, stubbing my toe, and the wicked are flourishing. The the bank account of the wicked is skyrocketing. Their bag of chips is full of actual chips. My bag of chips is just full of air. You know what I mean? You guys open those things like, oh, two chips. Thank you. Thank you, Lays. Verse 4, for they have no pangs. They have no issues. They have no problems until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. All right? I know they'll be punished at the judgment. They have no pangs until death. But right now, they're doing doing fine. No pain, fat and and sleek. I don't know how that works. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them as a garment. Okay, Bible speaks that they're bad. They're bad people. Violence covers them. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They speak and scoff with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. So now we do kind of get into some uh, financial dynamic, right? In, in this age, not always, but generally, to build, you know, the kind of multinational corporation, big, worldwide, global, whatever, you do so on the backs of the poor and the impoverished. 
That's how you do it. Okay, it's just how it's done. You build your empire through oppression. And, and again, not every empire is built this way. I, I, you guys watch Hallmark movies? You can admit it. It's fine. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you, you know who the bad guy is the second he walks onto the screen because he's a businessman? Right? <laughs> I'm not saying all businessmen are evil. I'm just saying... You build this thing on someone's back, okay? But these guys don't just take advantage of the poor. They don't just threaten oppression. They also mock God. Verse 9, they set their mouths against the heavens. And God, who sits at the height of the heavens, ruling over everything, they set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts throughout the earth. So the righteous person, the the poor in spirit, they've got questions, right? They're walking this thing out in integrity with a pure heart. God, I know you give a, you, you're good to those who are pure in heart. I'm pure in heart. These guys aren't, and they're just doing great. They're doing fine. So he asks questions. Therefore, verse 10, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, verse 11, how can God know about this? How can God, who's, again, seated at the height of the heavens, right? Nothing's hidden from his sight. How can he know about this? Is there not knowledge in the Most High? Like, is he just take, you know, and Elijah's talking to the prophets of Baal? Like, maybe my God's taking a vacation because the wicked are just prospering, and I'm not. How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Doesn't he see what's happening here? Doesn't God know that the bad guys who prey on the poor and who prey on the wicked and who prey on the impoverished, doesn't God know they need their kneecaps smashed? Like, why is it going on like this? And on and on and on and on and on. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked. And they're always at ease. They increase in riches while I decrease. I increase in poverty, decrease in riches. All in vain, I've kept my heart clean. I've washed my hands in innocence for all the day long, the psalmist says. I've been stricken. I've been rebuked every morning. Every time that alarm clock goes off, it hits me in the face. I'm poor and needy. You you, you feel the tension here, okay? The rich are, you know, doing great, and the poor in spirit are not. Lord, you said this and this and this and this and this leads to blessing, and this and this and this and this leads to reward, and this and this and this and this leads to destruction, but the opposite seems to be happening, okay? So either you're a liar or there's a bigger game being played here. So what's a poor man to do? Verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task until... 17, okay, until is a big word in the Bible. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then, so I'm going to the Lord, and then I discerned their end, okay? Remember, this is eschatology, the end-based discipleship. I discerned their end. Lord, I'm poor, I'm aiming to live in righteousness and walk this thing out before you, and I'm barely getting by, but the guys who live how they please, the ones who, who could give two rips about integrity, they are flourishing. What gives? All right? A huge portion of your psalms are just the psalmist going, what gives? What's going on? How long, O oh Lord? So he goes to the Lord, and the Lord teaches him how to discern what's going on, not to how things presently are, not to how things are right now in, in this age, but how as to how things will end. I discern their end, and how will things end all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, and I'd argue all the way through the Bible, things end in a great reversal. All right, a, a great uh, undoing of injustice and a great doing of justice and righteousness. Verse 18, truly, God, I discern their end, and the end is truly you will set them in slippery places. 
you make them fall to ruin. The banana on Mario Kart is theirs. Verse 19, how they are destroyed in a moment. They are swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. I don't know what that means. Good news translation says it this way. They are like a dream that goes away in the morning. When you rouse yourself, oh, Lord, they disappear. So God's going to move and act in a moment, and they're going to be swept away. They're going to be, they're going to disappear. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's preparation for, it's aiming, it's teaching us how to walk now as in the daytime, all right? Now, the night is far past, walk in the daytime, Romans 14. And so at the day of the Lord, in a moment, when the Lord rouses himself, we get this great reversal. I just turn their end, and it's like this, they, they go away. Those who are rich in this age are, Matthew 7, at the end of this sermon, they're the people who built their house on the sand. And when the wind comes and the rain comes and the, the whole deal, what happens to them? Swept away. The poor in this age who walk out their days in integrity, even though it's costing them something in the present and probably costing them something materially, they're the guys who, in Matthew 7 who built their house on the rock. And they are preserved and they are kept. But it happens when, when the storm comes. Okay, when the end comes. And so the poor man keeps speaking. Verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I was brutish and and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. So if you're honest, you've been that. (laughs) Okay, you're walking before God, aiming your heart to, to do right, trying to live with integrity. And the guy who's not doing that and who doesn't care He's prospering, and you get mad at God, right? Brutish and ignorant like a beast towards him. And I would just maybe comfort you a little. Totally normal reaction. <laughs> totally normal, okay? To, to see how things play out in this age and in the present time, and you're just like, this doesn't line up with what I've got in my Bible that's not up here, okay? This isn't what I'm reading here. The, the Proverbs say this. The Psalms say this. The Sermon on the Mount says this. And I'm not seeing it, and you get angry with God. So I would say that's totally normal, and I would say if if you're dealing with that, open up to your psalms and read through those things, because they'll give you better language for that than you have, okay? Probably with less curse words, too, which is good. So he says this, and then 23, Nevertheless, even though I'm mad at you, brutish, ignorant like a beast, nevertheless, I'm continually with you, and you hold my right hand. Okay? So you're walking this thing out. We got this stuff that doesn't match. And he says, you haven't forgotten me. You, you see the whole story. You see every side. You've seen all the times that it would have been advantageous for me to act without integrity, to gain wealth or gain power or gain influence or whatever the, the hamster wheel of this age. You've seen all those times. I could have done that, but I refused it so I could honor you. Okay? So he says, 24, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. Okay? What is the Sermon on the Mount? Afterward-based discipleship, okay? So you guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. So look at the timing. When is the payoff for being poor in spirit? When is the payoff for walking before God rightly while it's not working for you? Afterward. Afterward, God, you receive me to glory, which means not now. 
Now, sometimes, guys, it works out now. Sometimes God gives us a picture of now, today, to keep your heart alive and keep walking in that way. But the overall you know, story is that, God, I'm going to walk. I'm going to carry a cross in this age. I'm going to walk before you in humility in this age. I'm going to choose to not take advantage of people, even if other people couldn't see it in this age, so that you reward me then. And it's not always now. And where is the payoff for being poor in this? Or when, afterward, where is it in glory? Which is, you know, we'll get into this, more we get into the Sermon on the Mount, but it's, Jesus portrays this as such a no-brainer. Like, you guys want reward and prosperity and life for like 70, 80 years? Because you can have it. You can, there's a way you can live where you can have it right now, but you don't get it later. And that's endless ages. So if you got to choose, Jesus is saying, don't be dumb. Choose the one that lasts. Okay, build your house on the rock. So he says glory. And glory, again, is just a a jump drawer, a catchphrase for for the day of the Lord. And the kingdom of God and the resurrection of the righteous dead and the punishment of the wicked and so on. Afterward, God, you're going to receive me to glory if I walk before you in this age this way. The poor, you who are poor in this age, you're blessed in the next one. Next week, you who mourn in this age, you're blessed in the next one. The next, reset, whatever. You're hunger and thirst for righteousness in this age, you get it in the next one. Okay, you live now how you're going to live then. Live in the daytime. The night is far gone. Who am I in heaven but you, 25? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. So more than wealth and power and influence and fill in the blank, I'm willing now to be low and be despised so I can have you. Okay? So I can be with you and dwell on the earth. I'll be poor in spirit now because it's totally worth it. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. I might be poor now, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you, all right, these rich who, who are, are being pompous and arrogant and not walking before God in humility, they'll perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But for me, it's good to be near to God, even if it means I'm poor. I have made the Lord God my refuge, even in my poverty, that I may tell of all your works. The rich and the wicked prosper in this age generally. That's what the psalmist lays out. Okay? And I'll bet if you just looked across your own life, you would see, yeah, that's generally how this thing plays out. So we got that. We go back to Matthew 5, 3, and then we read Luke's account, and we just find the same exact dynamic. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God then. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation now. Okay? So don't be an idiot. Don't choose now. Like, like that's a long time. <laughs> nah. So... A word to the poor in spirit this morning, or just the poor in general this morning, you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You come to God empty-handed, destitute, beggarly, asking for grace, and then you walk out your days in righteousness, and yours is the kingdom of God. Or listen to, to James, Jesus, brother, listen, my beloved brother, says God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? So don't be an idiot. You know, like don't be poor. Don't be. Don't walk out this age in, in uh, being rich. Okay, in the way that rich is described in Psalm seventy-three, people who take advantage of others and strut and mock God, if you will, in this age, choose a poverty of spirit and a poverty of material things, if necessary. All right, I'm not dealing with a lot of that part today because Jesus is going to make us all feel super uncomfortable later in the sermon. Okay. <laughs> 
Come to God empty-handed, walk in righteousness, even when it's not rewarded. That's, I mean, that's, that's the big thing, is you got to get past, I deserve this reward now, and over and over and over, saying, no, you don't. No, you don't, because you got a better one, okay? Like the pearls in the field, go bury it and get it later, all right? Walk in righteousness, even if it's not rewarded now, then yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said. And he's going to do this through the whole beatitude, through all the beatitudes. He's going to do it through the whole Sermon on the Mount. You, you got a choice here. You can have it now, 70, 80 years, okay? Breath, mist, vapor. Or you can have it then, forever, okay? You guys are smart. Words to the poor also assume words to the rich. To those who walk boastfully in this age, who, who come to God, or d- don't come to God, tight-fisted, and do whatever is necessary for glory in this age and not in the next. So first, to, to the rich, I would say, ne- recognize the danger of riches in this age. The primary danger being you love them more than you love God, and by default, serving them, money and power, instead of God. Right? This is what the Pharisees are on to. So another thing we did a little bit last week, is this is this is a, a polemic, an argument against the, the Pharisees. I mean, he's talking to people, but he sees them in the back, and he's really talking to them. Because they're the ones walking this out in the opposite. Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or will be devoted to one, and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. And, you know, I know we want to explain that away, but we won't. Okay? <laughs> you can't do it. So when money and power master you instead of you mastering them, that's when the wickedness associated with the rich in that previous psalm springs up, okay? So it's not that money is necessarily evil, but the love of it is. We're jumping ahead, you know what I mean? Like, And so when you've got it, and then you see, oh, I can get more if I just take advantage of so-and-so, or if I just lie on this form or do this thing, eventually that comes up and you turn into that Psalm 73 person. The rich one, not the poor one, right? I got to have more money. I got to have more wealth. I got to have more power, more influence, and I'll do whatever it takes. And if that's how you live, irrespective of integrity, then Luke's gospel says, woe to you. You've received your reward. You've got it. Here you go, man. Enjoy. Okay? So for that person, there's judgment in the age to come, not reward. And I would say this to the rich. That's not what Jesus wants for you. Okay, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. We'll get there in, in uh, later in Matthew, Lord willing, and he wants to inherit eternal life. And he comes to Jesus, and I think the guy's sincere. I really think he comes to Jesus like, "Hey, done everything else. What do we got?" You know. And Jesus loves that guy. Mark ten twenty one it says Jesus looking at him loved him. Now we read the story and go, "Yeah." And Jesus looks at him and loves him. So the heart of Jesus is not to condemn the guy to condemnation. It's to love the guy into eternal life. And because he loves him, he says, hey, you love this more than me. So you got to get rid of it or you don't get the kingdom of heaven. He loves the rich and the poor. He loves the powerful and the powerless. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And disheartened by the saying, the man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He chose prestige and riches and power and influence in this age instead of in the age to come. So Jesus, James later walks through more of this and he goes after our selfish desire that, that seeks to dominate those we perceive as weak if we can just get ahead in this age. And he says in James 5, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries coming upon you. Right? you know, that's not on your coffee mug. <laughs> you don't get that at, at Hobby Lobby through your wall. <laughs> 
Why should they weep and howl? Verse 2, your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. So at the day of the Lord, at the judgment, he's going to say, hey, what about all this? And it's going to witness against them and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. And does that just sound like the Sermon on the Mount? Like maybe they talked about it. (laughs) The judgment on the rich is not just that they hoarded their wealth. The judgment on the rich is how they accumulated it. And that's what God takes issue with. Right? They didn't walk in integrity. Verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they're not treating their employees with integrity. They're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You see? Like he, he's, he's uh, uh, making Bob Cratchit work on Christmas without overtime. So you can't get home for ham with Tiny Tim. And the Lord has a problem with that. The Lord sees, the Lord hears, the Lord knows. And the God of the Bible is not a God who sweeps these things under the rug. He's not distant from the rich and the powerful who mistreat those entrusted to them. Right? Because that's the deal. Whether you have one employee or 5,000, the Lord has entrusted you with them. To love them and take care of them and provide for them and treat them fairly. And that's what they give account for on the last day. This is what governments are too. Like the Lord sets up government, does he not? Does he raise up kings and put them down? And they're judged on how. That's a different story. Sorry, Malachi 3.5. It says, then I will draw near for judgment. I will be swift against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the refugee who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So this is a sermon against the Pharisees, um, people who use who, who use people to get wealth and don't use wealth to love people. Okay, they they live for this age, and I'll step over anyone I need to to get wealth and get reward in this age. So I know that's nobody here. If you're going to be rich in this age, okay, I, I you know I hope you are. If you're going to be rich in this age, do so. Unto the Lord in view of the age to come and not in view of your own selfish desires. Okay? There is a better way. This is what Paul taught Timothy. Verse 6. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many... There's not a small deal. We're talking about money and influence. Like It's not like a little deal. It's like they've walked away from God. And a lake of fire is theirs and not the kingdom of God because they loved wealth and because they loved power. So that's the danger, okay? And again, it's not a foregone conclusion, but how often does the love of wealth and power lead to wickedness? 99%. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, look, eschatology, driving discipleship. As for the rich in this present age, okay, which again, I would argue is us. If you live in the U.S. of A., you hit the lottery already, all right? 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. If you guys are following Bitcoin, it's just... <laughs> okay. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So, what are we to do? You people in, in Tonkawa, Oklahoma, what are we to do? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Endless ages with the Lord forever in new body on a new earth. That's what we want. So if you're rich, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Why? Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Live as in the daytime. Okay? And it's not like anything I'm saying today is stuff we have to make up on our own. Okay? We have one who has gone before us in calling us to lay down our wealth in this age and to choose a spirit of poverty. Jesus isn't calling us to anything he himself did not do. Laying down our wealth, our power, our influence, fill in the blank, is the exact picture that Paul ties to the cross of Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So Christ chose not just poverty, but death. Christ shows a cross, a grave, and a tomb so that those who deserve death, i.e. us, you sinners, so that those who deserve death might become rich, might live, might have eternal life. So if you come to God in your poverty, not with your awesomeness, not with your imagined righteousness, but with poverty, he will always receive you. A broken and contrite heart, David said, the Lord will never deny that's, and that's crucial, because you guys, you know, we live like this, and we think, oh, I've really hit it now, now I can't come to the Lord. And David says, no, let me tell you about me. He's the one who wrote, a broken and a contrite heart, one who is poor and needy, the Lord will never, ever, ever turn away. And so my exhortation, and I think what Jesus is saying here, is live out your days this way, be poor in spirit today. Don't graduate from this. Don't imagine, I'm, I'm done with poor in spirit, now I can move on to something else. Come again and again and again and again to the Lord with empty hands. With, with, with nothing. Because it, I mean, it's, it's all junk. It's all junk. And I think that, um, yeah, this, this leads us to the Lord's table. You know what I mean? Like, this is a buffet you don't bring anything to. Or anyone under 20, any church buffet. Someone else will make it. Good news about this meal is someone else did make it. This is his body, and his blood, his bread, and, and his, his wine. So I want to pray for us. Uh, and then we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. And then after um, the Lord's Supper, then our elders will be up here to pray. With anyone, uh, you know, either in response to this or anything else you got going on, um, and just like a normal Sunday, pray in, in your seats if you're not up here. Um, all right, let's pray. Um, Lord, we are all poor, actually, and guess that by the Spirit you would help us acknowledge it and help us see it. God, we repent for. Um, any kind of boasting. We repent for coming before you with anything but empty hands. 
God, I ask that you would um, this week mark this 2 Corinthians 8 on us, God, that though you were rich, you became poor. God, for our sake, you became poor. And you died so that we might live with you again. Mark us with that. God, help us walk out our days as poor in spirit. Help us walk out our days living for the age to come. The the night is far past. The day is coming. Help us live in light of that day. God, like uh, all the way through all of our all of our time in the scripture, but especially uh, as we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, don't let us explain it away. Don't let us find ways around it. But by your spirit, God, give us grace to obey these things, to follow these things. Falling on in into, falling onto the grace of God, who bears us up in our weakness and, and walk this thing out. In the name of Jesus, God said.